Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 109 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at running an electric vehicle if you are disabled. What's out there? What problems are there? And what happens if you get to a charger where you can't use it with your wheelchair? This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Our main topic of discussion today is electric vehicles for the disabled. As with many, many things in life, when something new comes along, it gets embraced by a segment of the population, the early adopters, then it starts to become mainstream, then it's integrated into day-to-day life. But the segment of the population that almost invariably gets forgotten with new innovations is those with some sort of disability. Disabilities, of course, come in all shapes and sizes, as do disabled people. But if we look at the world of electric vehicles, we can see that there are a number of things that have happened which discriminate quite severely against people with a physical disability which confines them to a wheelchair. But it's not all doom and gloom. I'm joined today by former guest of the podcast, John Brooks, also known on social media as Bearded McBeardface. And if you were fully charged outside this year, you will have probably seen John as he was a panellist at the Mega Theatre outside, where he was in the session about... EVs for everyone, accessibility, affordability, and diversity. John is himself disabled, and whilst not totally confined to a wheelchair, he's limited in movement without it. He's also an EV advocate and runs the Kent EVs group, and I'm delighted to welcome John back to the show. Hello, John. Hello, Gary. So just for those people who haven't sort of got as much as they can from my little introduction, just tell people a little bit about you and your electric vehicle journey. Um. It started after watching uh, the um, the gadget show, sorry, Mental Blank, um, and on a segment on there, Craig Child had um, Robert Llewellyn as a guest, and they were talking about electric vehicles, and then they mentioned Fully Charged, Robert's uh, show on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I thought, actually, I'm a real fan of Robert, so I'm going to check that out, and that's where it started, and I had to wait for my car that I had at the time on Motability for the lease to run out. And then I was determined that the next car we were having was going to be electric. Now, we'll, we'll come back and talk about mobility, uh, motability in uh, a little moment. But um, are you comfortable talking a little bit about the nature of your disability and how it affects you from a driving point of view? Uh, yeah, no problem at all. I'm quite happy to talk about it. OK, so what exactly is the nature of your disability? OK, um, about 20, well, no, it's got even more than that. It's push, pushing 30 years ago now. Um, whilst I was working as a private investigator, I thought I had a frozen shoulder. Um, we went to the doctors and they said, no, it's actually you've got rheumatoid arthritis in that shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then up until about 2013, um, so 20, no, actually 2012, uh, it was completely manageable. I was taking a few tablets a day, dealing with the pain. At the time, I was working as a commercial boat skipper. Um, but I was finding that I'd started to lose my grip. Um, the manual dexterity went in my hands. Um, I was struggling to bend down to pick things up off the deck. Holding onto handrails was becoming more difficult. So I went to see the doctors and he said that the rheumatoid arthritis has started to get really bad um, to the extent that it's gotten all through your body. Um, and you really ought to think about giving up work, particularly where you're working at the moment, because you've only got to come off a wheel of a off a wave wrong and land hard, and that could put you in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. So that's where I suppose my working life ended, and my life as a, a disabled person started really. Okay. Um, that's also combined with the fact that I'm a type one diabetic. I also have ongoing heart problems. I suffered a heart attack in 2014. I had stents fitted 
And then in 2017, I had to go back in again when I had a triple heart bypass. So all of those things combined together with other things that have happened since I've been disabled, that's sort of, you know, pretty much where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I have limited movement. I, I can't walk very far. I've got a, the issue, one of my main issues is that I need to try and exercise to keep my heart healthy, but I can't walk very far before the pain starts with the rheumatoid arthritis. So it's yeah. a real vicious circle. So how does that affect you from a driving point of view then? The main problem that I have with driving is I need to drive something that's an automatic because changing gears all the time um, would cause me immense pain. Um, I'd also need to have a car at a certain seat height so that when I'm getting in or getting out, I haven't got to push myself up or drop down to get into a vehicle. I need sort of pretty much what I'd like to call a negative entrance. So there's not a lot of bending and there's not a lot of pushing up when I'm getting out. Now, you mentioned motability a little bit uh, earlier on, and um, can you just help us understand, sort of give us a bit of chapter and verse on this and help us understand how that goes some way towards answering some of the uh, difficulties that you've just mentioned about the nature of the vehicle that you can end up uh, eventually driving? You could end up that you're driving a, a manual car and all of a sudden you need an automatic. So you're looking at it and you think, well, actually, I can't afford that. I've just lost my earnings. I'm now living on benefits. So it's all very, very difficult. Uh, Motability is a charity that was set up to aid disabled people getting to standard cars. Um, They can offer offer adaptions, so some people need hand controls for when operating their brake and accelerator. Other people need to have hoists to be able to get in and out the car. But the whole setup of Motability is they take a chunk of your uh, either your disability living allowance or your PIP, which is the main benefit that disabled people get, and then they give you a car on a lease of either three or five years, um, depending on how long you want to keep it for. Um, So that's pretty much what Motability do. I know when you and I first talked about this, the number of electric vehicles that were available under the Motability banner was not great. How's it looking nowadays? Yeah, when I first started looking, um, so I've had my BMW i3 for just over two years now. Um, but when I was looking, there was probably 10, maybe 20. No, I would say 50, uh, between 10 and 20 electric vehicles available. Um, when I checked yesterday, there is actually 98 electric vehicles now available on the scheme. Is that a case of these are all the electric vehicles that are available and we've got them on the scheme? Or is it these are the number of electric vehicles that we feel are suitable for people with specific disabilities? It's actually the ones that they've done the best deal with in terms of the uh, the, the manufacturer, um, because they try and get the best leasing uh, deals out of the manufacturer. So I know that there are EVs that are available that aren't actually available on the scheme at the moment. Um, and also they need to keep the pricing down because otherwise it starts to get expensive because not only do they take a chunk of your um, disability living allowance or PIP, Mm -hmm. they also have on many vehicles have an upfront cost, um, which most people treat like a deposit, a non-refundable deposit. And that can range anywhere from £40 all the way through to £7,500, £8,000 upfront cost, depending on which vehicle you go for. Wow. And does it work like a strict lease so that at the end of the lease you give the vehicle back or is there an option to sort of have a balloon payment and take ownership of the vehicle? No, it's strictly. So after your period, initially you get three years, but then you get an option to extend for a further two if you wish. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of that period, the car goes back. 
And if they, there is one nice bit of ray of sunshine, if you look after the car and there's no damage on the car when it goes back, so it's almost like when you got it, they do actually give you a thank you very much payment. Oh, that's nice. I think it'd be good if all these companies did it that. It would, wouldn't it? Now, you've said earlier you've got the i3 at the moment. Lovely car. I've seen it. It's fantastic. I mean, I love the BMWs myself. Um, now, did you say you've had it two, two and a bit years? Yep, two years. So it gets due for change next September. And are you going to extend or are you going to change? No, we're going to for a change because my good lady wife, uh, affectionately known as Mrs. McBeardface, absolutely hates suicide doors. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were a great idea when I got it, but they actually worked out to be more of a pain than good. Oh, that's a shame. Um, yeah. So what, have you got your eye on a, a replacement? Well, I'd really like the new Kia. I really like the Kia uh ev6 yeah um but the price of that means that it's very unlikely that that will appear on the scheme or if it does appear on the scheme it's going to have a really expense a real high upfront cost and to give you an idea the um id4 in its middle-ish spec level has got an upfront cost of just shy of eight thousand pounds I know one area on which you and I are in violent agreement is the state of disabled access to EV charging. So what are some of the main issues that you encounter when trying to do public charging? It's quite funny. Somebody on Twitter the other day said, well, disabled got of access anyway, because EV charging bays are wider than other ones. That's actually the least of the worries for disabled people with EV chargers. They tend to sort of mount them on high curb plinths. So if somebody's in a wheelchair, it's going to make it very difficult for them to get up to the actual charger itself to grab the the adapter out of the holster. Um, the other thing they do is they tend to set the charging block back from the front of the curb mm -hmm. so that nobody's going to accidentally drive into it and hit it, yep. which means if you're sitting in a wheelchair and you, you can't actually just sit in your wheelchair on the tarmac, reach forward and grab the adapter out of the holster, it's too far away. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the other issues is actually the weight of the cables themselves. I mean, I find them really heavy and they, they don't, as you're well aware, they're not very flexible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go where the cable tells you you're going. You can't put it where you want it to be. Um, so that can be an issue as well, is in fact, how heavy the cables are. And as these charging speeds get faster, the cables have to get thicker. And we're now seeing things like liquid cooling within the cables, and that all adds to the weight and the unmanageable nature of charging cables. I'll loop back to that in a second, but uh, sort of tangentially related to that, much as we go on and on about fossil fuel charging and the fact that we should be moving off it, I think we both agree that they've got it, I'm going to say right, they've got a, a better situation when it comes to uh, fueling from a disabled point of view. So what, what fossil fuel design aspects would you like to see being um, adopted by charge point operators when they're putting their uh, chargers in? I'd like to be able to see the cars get right next to the charger like you can to next to a petrol or a diesel pump. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can actually park too close to them where somebody in the passenger seat can't actually get out of the car. Yeah. Um, but that needs to sort of happen um, with EVs and the other thing we see is most of EV chargers tend to be nose on or reverse on the only ones that seem to be side parking like a normal petrol or diesel station in particular is the grid serve hub at Braintree where you drive into the charger in next to the charger in the same way you would do to a petrol or diesel pump mm 
Yeah, I know some of the Tesla superchargers do that as well, don't they? Yeah, that lends itself much better to make access for disabled people much easier. Well, I mean, you've made some fairly broad statements about things that go right and things that go wrong in terms of the design, but that's more generic than specific. Are there certain types of chargers or certain charge point operators that have done better, should we say, in terms of setting things up for uh, for disabled access? Well, I think, as I said, the, the grid serve one at Braintree is mm. set up and that makes life a hell of a lot easier. Some of the plans I've seen for some new ones for people like Osprey, particularly with the new ChemPower charger, because yeah. that actually springs out a bit like sometimes you get on a jet wash yeah. where the cable or the hose is held up high and as you pull it, this arm bends out. Um, so that actually would make life a hell of a lot easier for well, for normal people as well as disabled people. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, off the top of my head, they're the only two that I've seen that are actually sort of trying to do things the right way round. And as you mentioned, uh, obviously the Tesla superchargers, um, quite a few of those are actually side on rather than head or nose. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, nose or boot. Um, so that makes, as I said, makes life a lot easier. And with the fact that now Tesla are starting to open up superchargers to non-Tesla owners, mm-hmm. it would give people wider choice to think, actually, let's look at that. That's actually the right way around for me. I'll go and use that charger network rather than that one, which might be a couple of miles closer. Now, I follow, I believe you do as well, a young lady on Twitter called Sarah Explores. V, yep. I think it is, and she tweets yep. about the practicalities of charging with a wheelchair. Now, obviously, there are issues with things like curves and bollards, and you've already mentioned that. But in my mind, I would imagine that the main issue would be accessing some of the screens, which, to my mind, tend to be sort of fairly high up on the actual units themselves. Is that just me imagining it, or is that actually an issue? No, that's true. And as you're aware, some screens, you've got to be at the right viewing angle to have to see where they are. So if you're sitting in a wheelchair trying to read the screen, it will be almost impossible. Mm. Um, so that obviously will make life really difficult. Well, some of the chargers now that are operated via app, um, we use Osprey chargers quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and their new app is fantastic. You plug the car in and pretty much everything else you do from the app. Yes, I love that. And I think that's how the Tesla chargers will work are working as well. Mm-hmm. You basically turn up, you put in the number of the stall that you're using, and then everything else just happens. You don't have to worry about reading a screen or anything else. It's just plug and play. Do, do you think there is an ideal design for a charger that would be both easy to use for someone with a disability and um, still provide the sort of facilities that people without disabilities would accept? Or is it going to be a case of you may need two different types? You'd need one that you know, an able-bodied person would use and then a different setup for a disabled uh, user? It would be nice if there is a compromise, and I am sure there is a compromise, where you can have a charging stall that is fine for people that are able-bodied, but is also at the further end of the extreme for disabilities, which is wheelchair users, really, mm-hmm. um, that they, they're access, they've got accesses to. Because there are so many different types of disability. Um, you know, I can't walk very far. Um, I have to spend a lot of time sitting down. But I can get up and look at the screen. Whereas somebody who's confined to a wheelchair, um, obviously that makes life a hell of a lot difficult. So we do need a compromise. And I am aware... Uh, 
since I started talking about this, that lots of charging companies are now looking at getting disability consultants or somebody in-house so that when they're designing their, their new charging station or their charging hub, they are actually talking to disabled people to see if what they're doing will work for somebody at the, the far end of that spectrum as well. What that brings up is the fact that there's two completely different aspects to the design process that play into this. There's the design of the actual chargers themselves. So as you mentioned, we've got the Kempower chargers, which are fairly small in terms of the footprint. They've got the nice spring-loaded um, cables, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got something like the original BP Pulse 50 kilowatt ones, which are dotted around the place. And they've got very high-mounted uh, cables that so they you know you've got to reach up to get those and the screens are not particularly responsive etc so you've got the actual design of the charges but you've also then got the design of the location where the charges are installed so as you mentioned earlier on are they close to the edge are they elevated is there um, a ramp going up to them are the bollards in the way so there's a number of different aspects that that play into this and I suspect correct me if I'm wrong that if you were to get somebody in as a design consultant uh, with a view towards making them more disabled access, you're still going to hit the problem of which charges, even if you could set it up so that the charges were located ideally and you had easy access to them, you've still got to make sure you've got the right kind of charger in place to do that. So it, it's not as straightforward, I don't think, as just saying, yeah, well, you know, we'll design it on a, you know, we'll drop them low down and we'll put the bollards wide and, you know, we'll allow space for a wheelchair in there. I think it's a lot more complex than that. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. Um, and I think what will happen is that you will end up with disabled bays um, at charging points, um, whether it will be one or two, um, there will be a accessible um, charger and then there will be the charger for uh, non-disabled people I think that's exactly eventually what will happen unless they can design a machine that is a compromise I mean I, if it was me I would like to see something with a dual display um, because that's not beyond the wit of man and it wouldn't be particularly expensive to do so you have a display and then you've got a slave display slow it lower down for people to do it lower mounting the holsters mm -hmm. um, because if the holsters are lower that doesn't particularly impact people who are able-bodied but it does mean that people who are disabled and wheelchair users will be able to get to them much easier well that's exactly right i mean if you go to the new grid serve ones that they're, they're putting in at motorway services they're they're low uh, located low the actual holsters and front loaded as opposed to side loaded so if you can get in there it's a very easy just to pull them out and, and put them into the uh, into the vehicle. Whereas, you know, you look at, let's pick one at random. I mean, even the Instavolts, they're side mounted on a, on a lot of them. Uh, some, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't have experience of this. Which is best, quote unquote, front, uh, front loaded chargers or side, side mounted ones? From my perspective, front loaded is much easier. Yeah. Um, because even me being able to walk, I find high curbs very difficult. Um, so if it's close enough to the front and it's got a low holster, then that's ideal for me. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, I think what we'll end up seeing is a different machine entirely just for the disabled bays, as it were. Um, but I, 
I wish that was wasn't the case, and you know that there was a way of compromising and designing a machine that works suits everybody. Yeah, it would it would obviously keep the cost down, and it would mean more charges are available for everybody, because if you make two disabled bays, then as long as everybody plays by the rules, you couldn't end up with two bays that are just sitting there unused while people are actually queuing to use the other ones. Yes, and that's always going to be uh, a bit of a dif- uh, an issue, isn't it? But yeah, I'm not sure what the the solution is for that no i think you know as i say then somebody's got to come up with a machine that suits everybody um and is able to do uh, the job that everybody needs it to do okay. if you were king for a day what would be the one thing you would do to make the whole ev charging experience better for motorists with a disability i would design a charging machine that is suitable for everybody um so it it fits everybody. Have you seen any new designs other than what we've talked about with GridServe, where they you know they have the side on um, entrances for the charges? Have you seen any designs upcoming for future uh, hubs and things like that, which have aspects that you actually quite like in terms of making it easier for uh, disabled motorists? No, I haven't as yet. Um, I mean, I do keep an eye on it. Um, I haven't seen one that immediately says, actually, these people have got it right. Looking at it sort of from the outside, with very few exceptions, it always seems to be the nose in or the tail in um, ones. There's very few that have the drive through. They all seem to want to put those nice bollards there, which I would imagine are a bit of a pain in the neck. Um, They all seem to want to put the, uh, the units elevated. There's never any ramps to get up onto the curbs. Nobody seems to have put any thought at all into making these a lot more accessible, and I find that uh, a little dispiriting. Yeah, I was looking at um, a hub design that appeared on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying then that you know these curbs are really high, the bollards are in the way, the machines are set too far back, and the company said, "Well, we because op- we operate petrol stations, what we got is an app." And you let them know that you're coming and then somebody will come out and help you. Now, whilst that is a co- is a compromise and it will work, I have seen firsthand that it doesn't work. Because if you mm-hmm. end up, there's only one person working in the shop mm-hmm. and you've got a queue of people waiting to pay for petrol or diesel, they're not going to come out and connect a disabled user to the charger while they're waiting. Um so and if, yeah, and if you turn up in the middle of the night when they've got the the door locked and they're only working through that little side hatch, they're not going to come out and lock and lock the door and come out and help you there, are they? No, and I actually personally would find that quite degrading. That everything in this world where we are at the moment is to try and make people with disabilities able to do anything they want to do, mm-hmm. and to have to go into a fueling station, you know, EV charge point and have to ask for somebody to plug my car in, I would actually sort of find that quite hard. Yeah. I'm one of these people who doesn't like to ask for help, and I know that there are lots of people like me around with disabilities yeah. that just want to be able to get on with it. If I need help, I will ask, but I'm very reluctant to. But if I drive an EV, I want to be able to charge it. I want to be able to come in, plug it in, charge it like everybody else. I don't want to have to sit there and wait for 15, 20 minutes for the shop assistant to come out and plug me in. I'd find that quite degrading. We've talked a lot about 
certain design aspects of chargers, etc. But it's been in relation to rapid charging. So when it comes to the other aspect of charging, which is destination chargers, the seven kilowatts, are there the similar kind of issues there or is it a little bit, um, quote unquote, easier? For me, I find it a little bit easier because they always tend to be, as far as I find, they're always about chest height um, and you're plugging in your own cable, um, which tends to be a little bit easier. I would imagine some of them are quite difficult for wheelchair users, although I haven't seen any that I thought, actually, if I was sitting in a wheelchair, I wouldn't be able to plug into that. Yeah. Um, So the ones that I've come across, certainly I wouldn't have found a problem. Um, but I'm sure people have with some of them because people just bang them on a wall and think, oh, that'd be all right. Actually, let's put it up a little bit higher so somebody comes here and drives into it, they'll actually hit the post rather than the charger, etc. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that being an issue. Is there anything that you think I need to know that I haven't asked you about? Um, One thing I will say is accessibility isn't just about disabled people. I think we also have to think about like women on their own coming into charges which are you know darkly lit stuck in the back of nowhere um i come across one um it's actually an osprey one which was in a public car park but it was stuck in a corner of a public car park out of the way so if you imagine having to go to that at night i'd actually feel quite vulnerable let alone a a single a single woman Mm. um so i think we also need to think about those sort of issues as well when charges are being put in places don't tuck them out of the way where there's no lighting and it would be nice because, again, it's not difficult to put some sort of camera in on charges to yes. make sure, A, if they if they get vandalised, you can see who's done it, or it means a little bit more security for somebody if they're in the middle of some a remote charger somewhere, they know that actually it's being monitored. And most of these charges are collected by phone line anyway, so putting an IP camera in would be no problem at all. And while you're at it? Put a canopy over so that when it's raining, oh, you yeah. don't get wet. <laughs> that would be amazing. There are, well, I suppose most of the charges in the UK haven't got covers. And obviously mm. the beauty of putting a canopy up is you can put solar panels on it. Exactly. Win-win, isn't it? Yep. John, thank you very much for your time. No, no, thank you for having me on. It's been an absolute joy. What John touched on there is the whole topic of charger design, or more particularly charger location design. Obviously, to allow inclusivity and not exclude anyone who might be, say, wheelchair-bound, a charger should have easy access to the unit, a low enough screen and supported cables. But there's a bigger issue with charger design, which we've touched on in an earlier podcast, but which is coming more and more to the fore. Safety. We've heard stories of lone women, usually, who've had to charge their cars in remote locations, such as dark car parks around the back of a pub. There is a charger not too far from me, which is literally at the end of a one-mile cul-de-sac in a deserted, unlit car park next to a railway line. There's no facilities or anything. Charging there late at night must be quite an ordeal. So what do we need to include in charger locations to make them more user-friendly and safe? I tweeted out a response to Kate Tyrrell from My Energy when she asked this question. I said we need canopies, good lighting, nearby facilities such as a coffee shop and CCTV. Also several units, and that would allow more people to charge at once because, you know, safety in numbers. Couple these requirements with some of the changes that John has mentioned, and the number of charges in the UK which would meet this standard drops dramatically. The vast majority of BP Pulse units would fall out from here, as would a large number of Osprey and Instavolt units. But what this does go to show is that while there is room for improvement, at least people understand what the issue is and what needs to be done to help solve it.
It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. It's old news this, but I think I'd uh, like to talk about it anyway. Tesla has finally started opening its supercharger network to other brands. It's only a trial and it's only at 10 locations in the Netherlands at the moment, but it's happening. In order to use one, there are certain criteria though. You have to have a car that supports CCS charging, so anyone with a Leaf or similar can't use it. And you have to have a Tesla account with the app. The charge is quite expensive unless you buy a monthly subscription. And then the charge drops to the same as the Tesla drivers pay, which is about 24 pence or 24 euro cents per kilowatt hour. Naturally, Tesla owners are being vocal about this, although to be fair, the majority of complaints relate to the fact that in order to use the superchargers correctly, a number of makes of vehicle, the VWID range in particular, have to park in one charge slot, but use the adjacent charger to connect. And this blocks two chargers in locations where queuing is becoming quite common. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. And it takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines so more people can find us and be informed. Always a good thing. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words wheelchair accessible, hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he's got a dark past. He's had many jobs I only recently found out about. He told me of one job where he worked for a meat cold storage company tracking down missing joints. Pushing 30 years ago now, um, whilst I was working as a private investigator, I thought I had a frozen shoulder. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.